Welcome to Kings River Life's Mystery Rats Maze podcast, where we share with you mystery short stories and first chapters of mystery novels read by local actors. Now, this episode features an excerpt from Leave It to Cleaver by Victoria Hamilton, and it's read by local actor Ariel Lynn. Leave It to Cleaver was published in June of 2017 by Beyond the Page Publishing, and it's available for purchase. The Vintage Kitchen Mystery Series features vintage kitchen enthusiast and collector Jamie Layton, who navigates life and murder in her small town of Queensville, Michigan. Leave It to Cleaver, book six in the series, follows Jamie to the altar, but not until she has investigated a long dead mystery of one or two missing teenagers from the 1980s, friends of her old sister Becca. This prologue to the book reveals the romantic height of her love story with local Christmas tree farmer Jacob Mueller and his adorable daughter Josie. February. One year ago, according to her Facebook account, Jamie Layton had been suffering through a lonely Valentine's Day, thinking about her dead relationship with Joel Anderson, who had dumped her a few weeks before Christmas. This year was wholly different. This year, she was looking forward to a Valentine's Day date with Jacob Mueller. And to add even more sweetness to the date to look forward to, it would also be with Josie, his adorable daughter. The little girl had called Jamie several times the evening before, asking if she liked chocolate. Of course. And did she like cake? <laughs> yes, obviously. And then if she liked chocolate cake. Jamie had to laugh and knew the child was experimenting based on the kid's cookbook Jamie's mother had bought her for Christmas. Her favorite present, Josie confessed. Then Jacob called to double-check that Jamie didn't mind sharing their first Valentine date with Josie. Of course not, she told him. Time alone with Jacob was precious, but she loved time with his daughter, too. She was a part of him, after all. Josie was, as she called it, a little little person. Born with a chondroplasia dwarfism, she was, at eight, only about the height of a three or four-year-old, and doctors weren't sure how much taller she would grow. She would have the typical attributes of her condition, the shortened limbs in particular, but her outlook for a normal length of life, with only some medical problems that were relatively well understood, was good. But Jacob, Josie's only parent since her mother had returned to Poland several years ago and subsequently died, made sure she knew she could do anything she set her mind to. As a result, she was more mature and confident than many children her age, though as giggling and silly as any little girl should be. At times, fond of tickle fights, cartoons, taking pictures with her new camera, tumbling in her tumbling group, and singing. Jacob was a good and loving man, Jamie felt fortunate to have found him in the most odd circumstances, running as she was from someone who wished to cause her great harm and banging on his cabin door on a late fall evening. February in Michigan. It was almost dark at five. Hoppy, her three-legged Yorkie-poo, shivered with excitement as she carried him out the back door of her Queensville home, down an icy flagstone path, and through the back gate to her decrepit white van parked in her spot on the parking lane that ran between two lines of houses facing parallel roads. She set him on the passenger seat, climbed up, and started the motor, letting it run a moment in the frigid air. The heater was... unreliable, 
and needed warming up. Her dog knew that if they were heading out this time of day, they were going to see one of his favorite people in the world, Josie. Hoppy propped himself up, his one front paw on the door handle so he could look out, and she drove in twilight away from Queensville to Jacob's log home on his Christmas tree farm. Past snow-covered fields and icy bare trees, black limbs like lace against the purplish sky. He, like Jamie, was a multi-business owner-operator. He helped as much as he could on his family's farm and took care of his enterprise, the Mueller Christmas tree farm. But he also ran a junk store. The junk stops here, on a back road in a former factory in partnership with his friend, Gus Majewski. Fortunately, Gus, a family man with a young child, handled much of the day-to-day -day work in the junk store, while Jacob attended auctions, estate sales, and scoured the internet for bargains to replenish the store's stock. Something Jamie enjoyed, too. They had started going to auctions and estate sales together along with Valletta, her best friend, the pharmacist at the Queensville Emporium. Jamie had her occasional job at the Queensville Emporium, filling in for elderly Klossners, and out of the store she also ran her vintage picnic basket rental business. On occasion, she helped Jewel Drandage and Cynthia Turbridge, who owned vintage stores in Queensville. She also took care of the family property, a rental cottage on nearby Heartbreak Island, but her favorite among her many jobs was her newest one, as food writer in the Wolverhampton Weekly Howler. Her column, Vintage Eats, was meant to help her gain experience and some measure of recognition while she wrote a vintage recipe cookbook she hoped to publish one day. Her van rattled and bumped as she turned into Jacob's Road, a backcountry gravel lane. There were some ruts from a mild winter and flooding, so she slowed, taking the bumps more carefully for Hoppy's sake. Maybe it was time to invest in a newer vehicle. We're almost there, Hoppy, she said, glancing over at her little dog. He yapped back and panted. Life was about to get even more busy since Becca, her sister, and Becca's fiancé, Kevin Brevard, were opening an antique business in town, though his sister, Georgina, was going to be running it. It meant that Kevin and Becca would be spending more time at the Queensville home that the sisters owned, a family heirloom passed on to them by their parents, who now spent most of their year in Boca Raton, Florida. As much as Jamie loved her sister, 15 years her senior, Becca always thought she knew what was right for Jamie. She wasn't sure how they'd manage to share the house more often. They had opposite ideas of what constituted a home. Becca loathed clutter, and Jamie thrived in the midst of her vintage junk. Life was busy, but most days she enjoyed the hustle and bustle. At the end of the day, she had Denver, the Krabby Tabby, less crabby since having some teeth that had been bothering him removed, and Hoppy. And now, Jacob and Josie. How much happiness could one girl's heart hold, <laughs> she wondered. Ahead, warmly aglow with golden light that flooded out the front window, was Jacob's log home and happiness. Here we are, Hoppy. He yipped, overjoyed to visit Josie, who he loved with all his doggy heart. She pulled up and jumped out of the van, greeted with a warm, enveloping hug from Jacob. Dressed in plaid flannel and jeans, he looked like a rugged lumberjack, his dark hair beginning to thread with silver and a beard coming in. When she carried Hoppy in and set him down, Jamie also received a wiggling hug from Josie, 
who had her blonde hair pulled back from her round, dimpled face with a heart-embellished headband. Josie's after-Christmas gift, animals should never be given on Christmas Day, Jamie had advised Jacob, was a kitten she had named Little Bit, and Hoppy had taken to the little tiger-striped devil. Kitten, dog, and child frolicked together from one end of the cabin to the other, much to Josie's delight, and then worked out their giddiness by racing about in circles, Hoppy gamely trying to keep up despite his lack of one limb. Dinner. Jacob's famous meatloaf was delicious. Josie was excited, singing and shooting glances at her father, and so jumpy she could not stay still. Finally, she got to present her gift to Jamie. A heart-shaped chocolate cake sprinkled with heart candies. It was lopsided and messy, but mm, delicious. A wreck of its former self after they demolished it. Josie yawned elaborately after dessert and said she was tired. Do you want to go to bed? Jacob asked. She nodded and yawned again, slumping in the farm chair drawn up to the rustic table in the dining area that adjoined the living area of the log cabin. Jamie eyed her suspiciously, reaching out to coil one blonde curl around her forefinger. She examined the girl's cherubic face, the smooth pink-tinged skin, the high, pale forehead, the Cupid's bow. Now, Josie, I thought we were going to watch a Charlie Brown Valentine together. She slipped off her chair and put her hand on Jamie's leg. I watched it already with my friend, Gemma. Is that okay? She stared up at Jamie, biting her lip and searching her eyes for approval. Honey, whatever you do is okay with me. You know that, Jamie said hugging her hard and kissing her soft, plump cheek. The little girl nodded, picked up her kitten, and trotted away, calling, Good night, over her shoulder. Odd that she should be so eager to go to bed. Normally it was a struggle to get her to settle when all she wanted to do was spend more time with Jamie. I'll put her to bed and come back down, okay? Jacob said, and headed for the stairs to follow his daughter. Of course, Jamie wondered why he was so serious he was almost frowning. She watched Hoppy settle on the rug by the fireplace, basking his limbs in the warmth of a real wood fire. Jacob had seemed off all dinner, so very quiet. Fidgety and concerned, she rearranged the cutlery, piled plates together, moved restlessly in her seat. Maybe he had something else on his mind and wanted to call off their date, but felt like he couldn't put her off on their first Valentine's Day as a couple. She'd have to tell him that if he ever had a family issue he needed to take care of, he could tell her. He could break any date, talk to her about anything. He could be quiet, noisy, sad, anything, just so long as they could talk about it. Her breath caught in her throat. She jumped up, cleared the dessert dishes and ran water in the sink, gazing out into the darkness of the lane and road beyond the kitchen window. Time to admit it to herself. She loved him. Deeply. Completely. They'd only known each other for a few months, but she was so sure of her feelings toward him. She didn't know how she'd stand it if he didn't love her too. But he had to be careful, since he had a daughter. They had already had the awkward conversation when he told her he would always put Josie first. She had reassured him that she honored that intention, 
and agreed. But maybe Jacob had decided they were going too fast and needed to slow down. She could live with that, as long as he didn't tell her that he was breaking up with her. Please don't let him want to break up with me, she whispered. She washed the dishes and set them in the drainer, then scrubbed the heart-shaped cake pan and dried it, setting it on the table for Jacob to put away. That was the problem with Valentine's Day. It made everything love-related seem so serious and heavy. Television told you that you had to have the perfect Valentine date, or the perfect Valentine proposal. Like Christmas, there was too much pressure to put on perfection. Jamie believed that the search for perfection meant you were never happy because perfection was impossible. She heard Jacob's steps in the hall and turned with a smile. He wasn't smiling, though he usually was. Her heart thudded and the smile died on her lips. Can we take a walk? he asked. Outside? she squawked. <laughs> it's only 25 degrees. He grabbed a blanket. We need to talk. Outside of the cabin? It must be serious. She couldn't say a word past the lump in her throat. The door slammed shut behind them and he gently wrapped the blanket around her shoulders. Then put his arm around her and led her away from the cabin, crunching across the frozen gravel drive. As they walked, they were silent. She was trying to figure out how to take it if he said he needed to back off from their relationship. Could she handle it without crying? She didn't think so. It was scary how much he and Josie had come to mean to her in such a short time. She had always drifted into relationships, usually caught off guard by men who asked her out when she wasn't expecting it. But this? This was different in every single way. Her heart was filled with love for Jacob and for Josie. It would crush her if he didn't return her love. Want to see what I've done in the treehouse? He said, taking her hand. Okay. Her voice was small, and she was numb from cold and fear. He climbed up first. Her freezing bare hands were awkward on the ladder rungs, but he gave her a hand up the final steps. It's so cold, she said, her breath coming out in white clouds in the dim light from the Mueller Christmas tree farm sign. I'll keep you warm. He wrapped the blanket around her more closely as she leaned against him, feeling his strong arms encircle her. She'd gladly stay this way all evening, as long as he didn't tell her he wanted to break up. I don't see any changes, she said, twisting and trying to examine the treehouse in the dark. Do you have a lantern or something? No, but I have a light switch. He let go of her and moved toward the window opening. Okay, let's have some light. Come to the window. I want you to see something. What is it? Come here, he said, his voice gruff. He sounded tense. She approached and looked up at his shadowy face, wondering what was wrong. Look out in that direction, he said, pointing out the window opening over the sea of dark evergreens. Next year's and the years after crop of Christmas trees. She did as she was told and heard a click. The illumination was immediate, but it wasn't in the treehouse. It was in the evergreen field. Hundreds of lights blazed, making a loopy, uneven heart strung from tree to tree, surrounding the sign they used by the road at Christmas to advertise their hours. It, too, was illuminated and held the words, Jamie, 
Will you marry us? Love, Jacob, and Josie. Her heart thudded, and her breath caught in her throat. She looked up into his face. It was still shadowy. She felt it, and traced his grin. He bent his head to kiss her, their warm breath mingling in the frigid treehouse. Jamie, I know it's fast, he murmured against her lips, his warm hands cupping her cheeks. I know we've only known each other for a few months. He leaned his forehead against hers. But I love you so much, and I know it's right. Will you marry me? Us. Me and my little girl. Her eyes were wet. He touched her cheek, feeling the tears. She couldn't speak, couldn't say a word, and felt them stiffen, tensing. She nodded enthusiastically and then found a way to pass the lump in her throat to croak. <laughs> yes, please. I love you, Jacob Mueller. From the ground below, she heard a wild cry of, Woohoo! from Josie and Hoppy barking excitedly. In one beautiful minute, she had a whole family to love. This reading of Leave it to Cleaver was produced by Kings River Life and directed by Lori Lewis Ham. You can learn more about this book and the author on our website, victoriahamiltonmysteries.com. Check out Kings River Life Magazine's websites for more mystery, local theater, animal rescue, and so much more. KingsRiverLife.com and KRLNews.com. Our theme song, The Blues, was written and played by Kevin Memley. For more mystery podcast fun, check out the Poisoned Pen Bookstores podcast. Authors such as Diana Gabaldon, James Rollins, Michael Connolly, Janet Ivanovich, and Jacqueline Winspear are regular guests on the Poison Pen Bookstore's podcast of Conversations with Authors. Go to poisonedpen.podbean.com to search for your favorite authors or find us on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Google Podcasts, and more. We'll be back next time with another mystery short story or mystery first chapter. Subscribe to our podcast to make sure you don't miss a single episode. Subscribe to our podcast newsletter to get special interviews with the authors of the podcast stories. And follow us on Twitter to keep up with everything KRL at Kings River Life. Now, if you enjoyed the episode, please rate or review it. This helps make us easier for others to find. If you'd like to help support this podcast and Kings River Life financially and get some fun perks, check out our Patreon page at patreon.com slash kingsriverlife. And we'd like to do a shout-out to our first patron on Patreon, mystery author Kay George. Until next time, this is your announcer Jim Tuck, wishing you a life full of mystery. Mystery.